0: Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It's great to see so many faces here. I'm, again, we're glad that you've gathered with us. Uh, this, this, sorry, I looked at my kids for a moment. This Easter morning, it's good to have you guys here. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the elders. I serve as pastor here at Bergen Park Church, and we're glad to see you. As a church, we have kind of three passions and desires. One is to worship God, to worship God on a daily basis, which means to be with him. And then second, we want to set aside, in some ways, our own agendas and to just simply follow Jesus. And then finally, as a church, we want to learn the task of what it looks like to actually love our neighbors in a way that makes them feel loved, that's the goal of our church: to worship Him daily, to follow Jesus, and to love this community in a way that causes them to feel love. And if you want to be a part of that uh, mission and that goal, please uh, reach out to us. I'd love to talk to you out in the lobby, uh, or come back next week. Uh, we'll probably have a few more seats, and uh, we'd be glad to uh, to get to know you. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, as a church we tend to go to Scripture. We spend a lot of time in the Bible, and so we're going to be in Luke 24. Uh, You can pull it up on your phone. There's also some Bibles available in front of you in different areas. Luke 24 is found on page 832. 832, there it is. You know, I'm here this morning to talk about the most important claim that has ever been made. That Jesus Christ died and on the third day he rose again, And it's a claim I imagine many of us have a different relationship with, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Some of us readily believe, and we've believed for a long time in the truth of the gospel that Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again, and he was the son of God, who was God very incarnate in human flesh, and he died for our sins. He rose again so that through faith in him we might have life, and that's what Christians kind of believe, and we follow this Jesus into life. And some of you may have a different relationship with that claim. You may uh, think it's foolish. You may even have some anger towards Christians in the way the church has acted. And we're glad that you're here. And simply this morning, we want to just rest in what Scripture says and what the New Testament says and the church says about who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, I'm going to date myself here with this reference, but... There was an ABC anchor that served for a long time named Peter Jennings, who was also a very spiritually curious man, and he said this. I was raised with the notion that it was okay to ask questions. And it was okay to say, I'm not sure. I believe, but I'm not quite so certain about the resurrection. Now, Peter Jennings is sharing a a thought that many people hold. They're not quite certain about this claim of the resurrection. And if you're in that camp, or if you're a believer and yet you have doubts, you need to realize that the disciples had doubts. There wasn't a disciple on Easter morning counting down. Ten, nine, eight. This is the best day ever. There's no disciple there. And even when they did show up, They're like, where's the body? It must have been stolen and and was it moved? The disciples had a very difficult time believing that Jesus rose from the dead because it's an odd claim. And even when there's stories of Jesus appearing to the disciples, they still didn't believe it. They struggled with what they saw and what they heard. Many people know Thomas is the doubting disciple, and yet I think he's the one who's the honest disciple, who simply expressed what everybody else felt. After the disciples said to Thomas, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. In John 20, John, uh, Thomas said, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and to place, place my finger into the mark of the nails and to place my hand into his side, I, I'll never believe This is a disciple who followed Jesus, and he's emphatic in his unbelief. I cannot believe this claim unless unless I see it. And yet Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. So if you have doubts this morning, I want you to know those doubts, I think they're very normal. It's normal to the human condition to have doubts around claims, certainly claims like the resurrection, and yet as a pastor, as a Christian pastor, I do have an agenda, I'm quite biased, that I hope for some of you today as you, as you leave, you may move from a place where the claims of Christianity are something you're willing to consider, at least think about. And if you're here this morning and you already believe, I hope you'll walk away with a deeper commitment, a deeper passion, a desire to follow Jesus Christ with your whole heart and your whole life. You know, according to the late philosopher and theologian, Francis Schaeffer, he said this, and I quote, there's one reason and only one reason to embrace Christianity, because it's true. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 24, and I want to give you a little context before we read the passage that we're going to be in, starting in verse 36. In Luke 24, it's this interesting conversation that Jesus has with some of his disciples, That Jesus of Nazareth, as the story goes, he was crucified on the cross. He died and he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. And in Luke chapter 24, there are these two disciples, unnamed disciples, we're not sure who they are, but they're walking from Jerusalem to a small village called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're talking to one another, and suddenly, I don't know how it happens, Jesus walks up. Alongside them, he kind of joins their company, and they begin a the conversation. And he looks at them and says, guys, what, what are you guys talking about? And, and they're, bless you. And they're surprised. And they say, have you not heard? Don't you know what's going on? I mean, where have you been? Haven't you heard about what's happened in Jerusalem about this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and died? And then Jesus begins this conversation, and he starts to open the scriptures to them. And he talks about why the Messiah, which means the king, had to die. And he goes through and as they're listening, their hearts start warming up and they start to see a greater picture of what God is up to. And eventually they get to Emmaus and they come to this house. They go in the house with Jesus and Jesus sits down. They still don't know it's the risen Christ, the one they've spent so much time with, until they sit down together and they start to share a meal. And it's as Jesus breaks the bread, that their eyes are open and they realize it's Jesus. And then in that moment, the scripture says that he simply vanished, he left. He was no longer there. Now they're surprised by that, they're taken back. They're somewhat disturbed, I imagine. And they get up from Emmaus and they run back to Jerusalem because see all the disciples, the other disciples are hiding, they're afraid. Their hope ended on Good Friday. When Christ died, the truth of what Christ taught was now viewed as a lie. He deceived us. Something's wrong. Something's not right. But these two disciples who had witnessed Jesus, they run back to Jerusalem. And in verse 36 of Luke 24, we're going to pick up this story as they come to the other disciples who were huddled, pretty timid and afraid in this room together. The word of the Lord, Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, uh, I'm gonna pray for you and you can pray for me. Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning and I thank you that you tell us that you are here this morning We don't have to ask you to be here. You are already with us. We just need, by faith, to acknowledge that you're here. And so, Father, would you speak to us? Would you just give us this moment where we might take a deep breath, set aside the activities of this day, and, Father, just invite you through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to comfort us. And maybe we would hear those words spoken to us, even in the situations we're in, Peace to you. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's quite a lot to unpack in these these seven short verses. And, And Luke's inviting us into this private conversation that the resurrected Jesus is having with his disciples as they're afraid and they're huddled in this room together. And the story, as you read through it, Luke's, he's revealing to us the depths of the doubts that these disciples have. That even when Jesus appeared, they have a hard time believing that it's actually him. And in verse 41, there's a interesting phrase I want us to look at that reveals why it was so hard for them to trust. In verse 41, it says, and while notice they still disbelieved for joy. It was joy that prevented them from believing what their eyes could see. See, it was too good to be true. With all the sin in the world, all the evil, all the brokenness, all the injustice, how can I trust that Christ really has resurrected from the dead? You know, honestly, as I was preparing over the last few weeks for this Sunday, I was thinking about all these school shootings. How can I believe that there is a God of justice, a God that is good and just and right, and that he has really risen from the dead, and through him I have life and life eternal, and that this life is not all there is? It was a message that for these disciples, they disbelieved not just because of the challenges of a resurrected person or God, but they disbelieved because it seemed too good to be true. They disbelieved for joy. And what Jesus does to reveal that he's truly here is he shares a meal with them. And through this common meal, we discover three things about the resurrection. And I'm going to pack these three things with three words. And those words are faith, forgiveness, and future. Now, the first thing that we see is faith. The first thing that we notice in this story is that Jesus, in fact, bodily resurrected from the dead. Notice in verse 20, uh, 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And look at their reaction they're startled. Hey, they're frightened. And they say, I, I thought it was a spirit. This can't possibly be happening. I think very much like us if we witnessed something like this, we would think I'm seeing something. Did I hallucinate? Did somebody slip something in my drink last night? What this isn't something that happens. I must be seeing things. You know the disciples, sometimes we look back in history and we think, well, of course they would believe, right? They're foolish. I mean they believed those kinds of things in that day, didn't they? And the fact is, they didn't. Jews did not believe somebody could resurrect in the middle of human history. That was not a concept that they had. The idea of Jesus' resurrection, even though Jesus said, I'm going to rise again, was not something that made sense to them. So when they saw it, they're honest. I thought it was a spirit. I didn't believe what my eyes were seeing. And so Jesus says to them in verse 38, And it seems somewhat obvious, but why are you troubled? It's kind of like, because you're here. And why do doubts arise in your heart? And this word doubts, you may not know that if the New Testament is actually written in Greek, not in English, and this word doubts in the original Greek is the word from which we get our English word dialogue, that when they see Jesus, just like you would, you start having dialogues. What am I seeing? What's going on? Is this? A spirit, what, what's happening? I cannot trust, I can't trust what I'm seeing. And Jesus is saying, why are you having these dialogues, these conversations in your heart? And Jesus addresses their doubts in a very real way. In verse 39, he says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands And his feet, he's just saying, guys, it's me. I'm here. I'm with you. And then we get those powerful words in verse 41. Even though they've touched him, even though they see him, even though they hear him, it is for joy that they could not grasp. They could not believe what they were saying. They couldn't believe it was true. And I think if you know the story of the disciples, it makes sense. The depths of disappointment that they had just walked through. They had lived with this Jesus of Nazareth for some three, maybe three and a half years. Miracle after miracle, story after story. What would it have been like to be with somebody who loved you completely? Who had deep conversations about your fears, your anxieties, and there was a sense of calm. Not anxious presence, but a calm, confident, strong presence that was with you for three years making promises about who God is and what he would accomplish and what he would do with you. And then on Friday night, he's arrested. Or on Thursday night, he's arrested and he's taken into this mock trial and he is found guilty and then he's crucified. And you're wondering, what was I believing? in? It must have all been a lie. They've abandoned their faith. They've abandoned what Jesus has said. They're confused, they're lost. It was joy that was keeping them. From trusting in what they saw. And how does Jesus restore their joy? He does something as common as just eating with them. Something he had done time and time and time again. It's not the miraculous. It's just simply sitting down and enjoying a meal together. And see, what he's revealing is that I'm here. One of the things that Christians believe is the physical resurrection of Jesus. That it wasn't a spiritual resurrection. The New Testament doesn't claim that Jesus spiritually rose, he physically rose. That's the claim. Whether you believe that or not, that's what Christians fundamentally believe. John Calvin, a theologian, said it this way, as Jesus feeds on this fish, he is feeding their faith. They're waking up to what God is doing. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke in the book of Acts is revealing the struggle the disciples had in coming to trust what their eyes had seen. And it says, and he presented himself, meaning Jesus, alive to them after his suffering by many, do you notice that word? Proof. Why do you need proof? Because I don't believe it. For 40 days, the disciples struggled to believe, appearing to them over 40 days, speaking with them about the kingdom of God. Of God. Jesus presents himself alive to his disciples to cause them to see that it's truly, it's truly him. He is physically risen from the dead. And it took them time to trust what their eyes had seen and their ears had heard, but eventually they were convinced. And they were so convinced, and this is for me what really causes me to wrestle with the truth of the Christian faith that Jesus rose, but then these individual disciples who had such a hard time believing were transformed. And they went into the very city, Jerusalem, in which Jesus was crucified, and they started saying, he's risen from the dead. They put themselves in a place in which they could have received the same punishment that Jesus did. And 11 of uh, uh, the, the disciples would actually die, a martyr's death for this claim. And so Luke recounts these doubts of the disciples and I think he's doing it to, in some ways, address our own doubts. Is this really true? Have I been fooled? Should I really give my life to this claim? I mean, can we really trust that Jesus is the son of God? Can we trust that he is risen from the dead? And the physical resurrection of Jesus, more than anything else, says yes. That if you don't trust in the message of the gospel, look to the resurrection of Jesus and look at it like any other historic event. Study it. Understand, why did the church rise the way it did? Why, why did this small band, you know there are many, uh, I think a dozen, not many, but a dozen, I guess that's many, I don't know. People who claimed to be the Messiah and yet their stories, they died out. Why did this Jesus of Nazareth, why did it overcome the world in 300 years spread throughout the entire Roman Empire to the emperor itself? You know, Paul revealing the impact of the resurrection says this in 1 Corinthians 15 and I find this sequence of arguments just incredibly powerful. He says this, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Guys, if he didn't bodily rise from the dead, you're fools. Why would you say that? Why would you let that out? And then he says, if, Christ, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people the most to be pitied. And if the dead are not raised, hey guys, let's, let's leave. Let's go to dinner early. Let's do Easter egg hunts and all that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And realize Paul would die for his faith, for this claim. Something must have happened. Something must have happened for these disciples who struggled to believe, these disciples who were timid, to go out and say that Jesus had risen from the dead, and then to make claims like this, that we would be fools if this wasn't true. See, the first thing that the resurrection tells us is this word faith. We can have faith that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That we can trust what Scripture says. That Jesus has died, he has risen, and because of that, his claims are true. This is the argument of the New Testament. That we can have faith in what he says. Here's the second thing that this meal teaches us. You know, it's interesting, there are four places throughout the New Testament where Jesus eats with his disciples after the resurrection. Now, the first two stories are actually in this passage in Luke chapter 24. We see one in John 21 when Jesus comes alongside the Sea of Galilee and eats with his disciples as they're out fishing. And then Peter records this in Acts chapter 10. As he's preaching the gospel, he says this in Acts chapter 10 verse 40. But God raised him, meaning Jesus, on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he had risen from the dead why why is it so important that peter would say that he ate and drank with us realize what he's saying is he accepted me jesus ate with me he accepted me do you realize the impact that must have had on Peter. You know, one of the first apostles that shared the gospel was this woman, Mary Magdalene. She's not the kind of person you would choose to be the first person to announce that Jesus was risen. She was a prostitute. story was told that she had demons within within her that were cast out. And yet Jesus comes to her and says, Mary, I want you to go and tell the disciples, tell these men, that I've risen from the dead. And then he says, and especially, will you, will you tell Peter? Tell Peter I'm coming. What would Peter think? Oh, shoot. He's coming? Mary, he mentioned me by name. Oh man, this isn't gonna go well. God knows my name and he's seen everything that I've done. You know what a meal means? It it means that I want to know you. A meal in first century Jewish society, man, I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. It's why Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders. Because who did he eat with? Who did he go to lunch with? Who did he have breakfast with? Uh, Prostitutes. People who were cast aside. Tax collectors, those unnationalistic people that ruined their own country. Sinners. And yet Jesus sat down with them, and he ate with them, which meant there's nothing that you have done that will keep me from desiring to pursue you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to share life with you. You can imagine what this invitation, it must have had on the disciples, because they abandoned him. Even those that were praying with Jesus couldn't stay awake because of the grief that they had. And when he was arrested, they they fled. They even denied that they even knew Jesus. And one thing that was kind of struck me this week is they left his body on the cross. The disciples did. It wasn't the disciples who went and took the body. It was Joseph of Arimathea. It was Nicodemus who had the courage. They were Sanhedrin. They were kind of private, hidden disciples, but... They went and took the body. The disciples said, no, I'm done. And they left. They abandoned him. They abandoned their faith. They abandoned all the experiences of life they had together. And so I imagine as they're gathering in this room and they hear these two men come in on the road to Emmaus, we saw the risen Christ. And they're wondering, could this be true? And could he still want to be with us? There's no way God could love me. Why would Luke be sharing this story? Because I think it's another set of doubts we carry. We doubt the physical resurrection. But listen, I think more than that for me, I doubt that God could love me. I look at my own life, I look at my doubts, I look at the sin that I've committed after knowing Christ. I mean, I am a hypocrite at best that I claim to believe in this and yet daily there's actions and thoughts that come through my mind that deny the truth of what I claim to believe. And you may be in that place today. You wonder, can God possibly love me? Would God want to be with me? He doesn't know the desires and, and the pursuits that I have. If the people around me knew, if my family, if my spouse knew what I was involved in, they could not receive me. And yet Jesus offers a table every, every day to us. He offers communion to us, which is to eat with him, that he wants to know us. He wants to love us, he wants wants to be with us, and that's where this second word comes in. It's the word forgiveness. There's a scandal to the Christian gospel. There is an absolute scandal that it is available to everyone. There's nothing you have done that could keep you, that could keep God from desiring to pursue you. The only thing that keeps us from it is is a refusal to receive. Scripture says pride. That I don't, I don't see that I need a Savior. I, I think I've got life under control. And so we tend to be our own Savior and Lord. Or we look to things in life to rescue us. All of us have Saviors. But Jesus is the only one that when we fail him, when we reject him and abandon him, he sacrifices, he pursues, he dies for us. This is the love of God, that even when we would abandon him, he would pursue us. John Newton, who was a slave trader, came to faith in Christ and, and he said this, he said, I know two things, I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And he would spend the rest of his life fighting to abolish the slave trade. God desires to be with us. And here's the third thing, We see, first of all, that there is faith, forgiveness. And then thirdly, we see that Jesus is physically eating with the disciples, which means what Jesus is showing us is a foretaste of what's coming. What's heaven going to be like? I know we see a lot of stories, and there's angels and clouds and harps, and it, it seems quite boring to me, to be honest. What is heaven like? And heaven is a meal, Realize, when Jesus was resurrected, the New Testament claim is that he had a glorified, new, resurrected body. Jesus is a preview of what life will be like, what we will have, if we trust in him. It points to the renewal of all things, that God didn't just come to rescue us. You know, he came to rescue all of creation. This world is good. He loves humanity, and God has sent his son so that the sin of this world, the brokenness of this world, the injustice of this world, the hurt, the heartache, the pain, the sorrow, that it might be addressed and done away with. That God may make all things new. Jesus is called, in Colossians, the firstborn from among the dead, which means that all who trust in him will also have a new, glorified, resurrected body in a new and glorified world. You don't need a bucket list. You know what a bucket list is for? And some of you may have it. I've gotta get this done. I've gotta have these experiences before life is over. If you truly believe in Jesus, you don't need a bucket list. There'll still be mountains and trees and people, and animals. There'll still be life, and building, and music, and culture. There'll still be nationalities. There'll still be worship. God is going to take all things that sin has broken, and he's going to restore and redeem life. This is the fullness of what Christians believe, not just an, a disembodied life on a cloud with harps, but a real life, a restored life, a life without sin and sadness and brokenness, without school shootings and injustice, without division and hatred and rage towards your neighbor, but instead a restoration of life with God. And when there is life with God, there's life with each other. As God intended, that we rebelled against God, and yet God has taken that rebellion on himself so that we might have the word spoken to us. Peace to you. Peace to you in this life and peace in the next. You know, Listen, our culture is constantly fighting against death. I, I hear all these stories about nanobots. My son has actually told me about nanobots that'll be in your body at some point, right? And I don't know if this is true, but it sounds cool. And it'll actually restore you. And, I, and there's scientists that are working on cells that regenerate. And if that doesn't work or you die before that, they can even freeze your body or, and bring it back. All of that, I guess, is in the works. And why is that? Because we fear death. We don't want to die. There's something in us. Even when you go to a funeral and people say, well, that's just natural. No, it's not. I've never gone to a funeral and and felt that this is a natural reality. No, there's, there's something wrong here. There's something that we rage against, that death is not the way that things are meant to be. And so Jesus, into that ache, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And see, the resurrection is the evidence of the truth of that claim. Philippians 3, verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. These bodies that are subject to disease and decay, these bodies that can be shut down if you close these three holes in my face, it's over. This weak and lowly body will will be transformed like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. See, the third word that I'd share with you is future. There's faith, there's forgiveness, but there's a promise of a future. It's a promise of a future with a God who loves us, who's rescued us, and wants to have life, and he says, is life abundant. It's life free. You know, and that life is not just a future life, it's, it's today. It's today. It's in, today in the midst of a world that is broken and chaotic, a midst of a world that is violent. There is still a hope today where we can trust to believe. We could hope to believe that it is, it's not too good to be true. That he has risen from the dead, and because of that, there is a God who's created us, loved us, and history has a purpose. Your life has meaning. You're not a chance collocation of molecules that just exist. You matter. You matter to God. He loves us, and He's rescued us. What does this meal tell us? It tells us that we can have faith in who Jesus Christ is because of the resurrection. It tells us that forgiveness is offered. No matter where you are today, you can can experience it. And there's a future. A future life together with God in heaven in a new heavens and earth. It's here. This is the hope of the gospel and it's available to all who simply believe. There's nothing you have to perform. Many of us, we would think to gain something like this, I need to, what's the quest? Send me out to kill the dragon. Send me out to live this valorous life, and then I will be good enough. And he's the only one who's good enough. Because, see, it is by grace that we're saved through faith. And it's not it's of not myself. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that none of us may boast. And I don't know where you are with this story. I hope today that at least you'd consider it. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he has raised him from the dead, he says, we will be saved. And that can be as simple as a prayer. Father, accept me through Jesus and Jesus alone. I thank you that you've come into this world. You've forgiven me. You've given me a savior, a Lord, a redeemer. And through the resurrection, you've given me new life. And if that's where you are, I'd encourage you just to pray that prayer. And even if in your heart you feel that desire to do that, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the resurrected Christ. He's alive, he's with us, he's redeemed us and he wants to know us. Here, we're gonna share communion together. If you didn't grab the elements as you came in, I wanna encourage you to do that. They're available up front, please. You can come on up front or you can go to the back. If you've received, received, received Christ as your savior, your Lord, this, this table, it's open to you. It's an opportunity for us to reflect that it's through Christ's broken body, his shed blood on the cross, that we have forgiveness with God. And so I don't know what God has stirred in your heart in this time that we've had together, but this is an opportunity for us to reflect, uh, simply to speak to him. And maybe it's an opportunity for you just simply to say, Father, accept me through Jesus and Jesus alone. And after the service, after we sing, there'll be some individuals up front who will be present to pray for us, If you want to come forward, this is an opportunity for you to to receive that. Let's spend some time in silent reflection and prayer together.